Welcome to this week's episode of Horror Weekly, where we try to discover the best werewolf movie that's not an American werewolf in London. We recently asked about a half a million horror fans online that question, and we're here with the answers. So out of thousands of votes cast, um, we have a clear winner, which is a little bit surprising to me. I wasn't expecting it to be quite so clear-cut. I thought the there would be two or three contenders very close in the votes, but one movie, especially as the voting went on, just pulled further and further away. We'll talk about the movie the fans chose in just a little bit, and I'll go through a lot of the kind of runners up for the voting. But first, I want to talk about my personal pick for this answer. And I had really only two contenders the whole time. My heart is still torn. I think I know what I'm going to say, but it's still torn between these two. I want to cop out and call it a tie, but I just can't allow myself to do that on a podcast since the fans weren't doing it in the voting. (laughs) So I'm going to take a cue from their bravery. Of my two contenders, one was um, in fifth place overall for the fan voting, and one got some votes for the fans from the fans, but I don't even think it was in the top ten. So my personal pick for the best werewolf movie of all time that is not an American werewolf in London is The Wolfman 1941, the Universal classic. You know, I was a little bit worried about this being a boring and obvious answer, but I went and rewatched The Wolfman, which I've seen probably four or five times at this point, but I really closely watched it, um, getting thinking about this vote, deciding which way I was going to go, and it's not going to be boring or obvious at all, except for the name, because there's a lot more going on in The Wolfman 1941 than I remember. Something interesting to notice about this movie right out of the gate is it doesn't really have sequels and remakes, not on the same model of the kind of movie it was. So let's flip over to another Universal classic for a second, Dracula. There are a lot of great Draculas. There are a lot of great versions of Dracula. There's a lot of Draculas that kind of copy the Bela Lugosi template or at least ostensibly follow the Bram Stoker source material. But there are so many common elements between what Todd Browning's Dracula is doing and the kind of things other film Draculas have tried to do, whether they succeed or fail. But with werewolf movies, it's pretty different. The Wolfman had sequels, of course, but they didn't follow the template of the original Wolfman, which I'll talk about in a second. And the werewolf genre has wildly different um, attempts at, at, at werewolves. Like Dog Soldiers has so little in common with the Wolfman or the Howling or um, Company of Wolves or Brotherhood of the Wolf, for that matter. Wildly divergent settings and character arcs and, you know, happy or sad endings. And except for the 2010 Wolfman uh, sort of remake, um, which was pretty much a failure at the time, although now has kind of come around to be an underappreciated movie. It's it was 
pretty high up in the voting, actually. It was in the top 15 from the from the fans online. But what I think this tells us is the Wolfman was 1941 was perfect. It, it, it didn't need another attempt at it. That There were no other ways to go with that story. So the sadness that Lon Chaney Jr. portrays, the, the pity you feel for um, his affliction, and, and the things that happened in that movie, these famous poems that were that come from 1941 Wolfman. I mean, the famous one is the every man who's pure at heart and says his prayers at night can become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright, which is an amazing, it might be the greatest poem from a horror movie ever. Like <laughs> off, the, off the top of my head, the only other one I can think of that even sort of matches it, even though it's not really a, a poem per se, is the one, two, Freddy's coming for you. I don't know what else even goes here. Not quotes, not like one-liners, but actual like poetry. This is the like the number one. And the Autumn Moon is Bright ending of that one is just like automatic Halloween to me. Besides the atmosphere of 1941's Wolfman, just that poem itself evokes Halloween. I always watch the Universal Classics around Halloween time, or at least in Halloween season. It was they were some of the first horror I ever consumed as a child around Halloween. So obviously I love it. But if you go back and watch The Wolfman now, um, I think it's aging very interestingly. <laughs> so, you know, the the hint in that poem, it starts with even a man who's pure at heart and says his prayers at night. And I think that poem is almost a warning considering the character that Lon Chaney Jr. portrays in this movie because he's not a good man, like, at all. He's very sympathetic, right? Like, I think we all feel for him as he goes through this um, curse, basically. But he is a hardcore stalker through the beginning third of this movie, like, uncomfortably so. He, he, he basically does a peeping Tom move with a telescope into Evelyn Anker's room. He's incredibly persistent in trying to go get her to go on a date with him. He's not phased when he finds out she's married or engaged, which is kind of remarkable, I would imagine, for the time of that movie. And then when he finally gets um, Evelyn Anker's, Gwen's character to go out with him she brings along her friend jenny and keep in mind at this point lon Chaney jr is not a wolfman yet but he behaves like a wolf even before he becomes the wolfman because now that jenny and gwen are a pack like how do you or a herd really how do you divide how do you hunt a herd you divide it and he does his best to divide Gwen and Jenny. He he figures out a way to get them fig- separated from each other. Jenny goes to this amazing scene of uh, Fortune Teller, which is played by Bella Lugosi. And um, beca- it basically leads to Jenny's downfall. The fact that she's been left alone. She's spooked from the Fortune Teller. And when she comes out, she's not with her friends anymore 
because Lon Chaney Jr. has basically maneuvered her friend away from her, like separating the, the calf from the herd in a hunt. And another interesting subtext of what's happening here is that he Lon Chaney Jr. is playing like a lord, <laughs> like a very wealthy and privileged family. And he really does not care that Gwen is engaged, uh, not even after her friend dies. He basically doesn't care at all. I, I, I can't find very much in the movie that registers him feeling like that's an obstacle. Like the love story between him and Gwen continues all the way through the movie until the very end. So I am quite sure that the even a man who's pure at heart part is basically telling Lon Chaney Jr. that if that can happen to a pure man, imagine what evil can befall a corrupt man, which is going to happen to him soon. There's another poem that pops up in this movie. It's the poem that Maleva says basically anytime one of the wolfmen is... Um, injured or something turns against them. And it goes, it starts with the way you walked is thorny through no fault of your own. But I think the no fault of your own part is you got bitten, <laughs> not absolving you of the fact that your actions led you to questionable places where you might have um, put yourself or other people in danger. It just means uh, you got bitten, <laughs> you got overpowered. So the cast here is remarkable. I think we all know how great Claude Rains is, the famous Invisible Man who is here playing um, Lon Chaney Jr.'s father. Um, but Evelyn Anchors as Gwen really makes this movie work. It's her like determination to protect a person that she thinks is a good person even though she's in a sort of compromised uh, in-between area between two people. Um, she's trying to do right in both directions. And if you think of it from her fiancé's point of view, she's kind of like a wolf person. She must seem to him very savage at parts and then very loving and close in parts and very unpredictable like all werewolves are. And the atmosphere of this movie is basically a character in itself. This is one of the greatest atmospheres ever constructed on a screen ever. Forget horror movies, mainstream movies, doesn't matter. It's just literally something you feel like you could step into and get lost in. So just for the fact that this movie is so perfectly done for what it is that it was almost impossible to follow up on. Unlike the Draculas and the King Kongs and the Godzillas and the even Frankensteins. This was a template that was done so well out of the gate that it was just really, really hard to follow up on for the fact that it has great acting, unparalleled atmosphere. And most especially to me, the fact that it seems to be aging very interestingly actually getting more alive and kind of edgier as time goes on, unlike a lot of classics that kind of just soften into mist. For all those reasons, I think it's the greatest werewolf movie of all time. I actually like it more than American Werewolf in London, but I know that's the consensus favorite, so that's why I asked the question the way I did. 
But my heart also wants to fight for Wolfen, the Albert Finney classic, just because it's such a unique... Um, first of all, it has, to me, the best opening of any werewolf movie ever. And let's just get past the it's not a werewolf movie. There are a couple grand traditions in werewolf movies. There's the kind of bipedal or humanoid werewolf, and then there's the turn into a wolf-wolf tradition. <laughs> and um, I count them both, so sorry, not sorry. But um, regardless of that, the Wolfen has this amazing opening. It, it, it's, it really is the most interesting kind of take on mixing um, the werewolf tradition in a non-traditional environment, in this case, an urban environment. Um, just a really spectacular, spectacular film. Didn't get a whole ton of votes from the, the online fans, but I, I really wanted to fight for it. But in my heart, there was just no way I could say that Wolfen is definitely better than American Werewolf in London. And um, I can say that about 1941 Wolfman, at least for me. So there's just no way I could put it in first. So Wolfen would have been second for me. Now, as for the voting itself of the thousands of votes uh, that were cast, um, the most surprising high entry to me was Wolf, the Jack Nicholson, Michelle Pfeiffer, James Spader, Christopher Plummer extravaganza from 1994. This movie came in sixth place out of all werewolf movies of all time in the voting, which really surprises me. Now, there's a sneaky thing going on here, right? Because um, we could argue about who the greatest, like, horror director of all time is. You've got your Hitchcocks and your John Carpenters and your William Freakins. And, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. Um, with werewolf movies, they um, don't have a lot of contenders for greatest director in terms of other things that they've done. Um, I guess the most accomplished werewolf director I can think of off the top of my head is either Neil Jordan, who did Company of Wolves, or Neil Marshall, who did Dog Soldiers, or I guess John Landis himself. But the greatest director, at least in terms of achievement, to ever put their hands to a werewolf film is absolutely, and it's not even close, Mike Nichols, who did 1994's Wolf. I mean, I think this guy has like 42 um, Academy Award nominations. I think he's got like seven wins. He's an EGOT. <laughs> like there's only, what, 20 EGOT or something like that in the history of entertainment to win the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Um, he directed The Friggin' Graduate and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I mean, this is... Uh, Hollywood royalty, right? Doing like a pretty straight on werewolf extravaganza with an amazing cast. So anytime I see this movie or talk to anyone about this movie, I just don't know what to make of it because it's such a weird mix of great and terrible <laughs> that it's kind of unto itself. It's very much its own thing. 
Uh, I rewatched a little bit the other the other day, and it really struck me how much I forgot how creepy and villainous James Spader can actually be. Um, and Michelle Pfeiffer was amazing as usual. We all know about Jack Nicholson. Christopher Plummer even um, really sells his character, even though it doesn't have a long part in the movie. So I don't know. This is one of those movies that I can't like exactly vouch for, but every time it comes on, I have to watch some of it. It's just so incredibly watchable. It's weird. All right. In fourth place of the voting, we had Dog Soldiers which is an incredible movie. It's the most like straight on like werewolf movie. I absolutely love Kevin McKidd as an actor. Um, Dog Soldiers has a great cast, but Kevin McKidd, I'm sold. He, I, his performance in HBO's Rome miniseries was incredible. So, Dog Soldiers is savage, it's unique, it's streamlined. I mean, the contract for this movie, when Neil Marshall was pitching it, um, he was pitching it, I think, in a bar or a pub of some kind. Um, a very American werewolf in London-esque uh, atmosphere. And the people he was talking to liked it so much, they drew up a contract right there on a napkin. And then decided a little later when everyone sobered up that they still wanted to go through with it and they honored the napkin. I mean, that tells you all about the DNA of this movie. It is uh, no frills. The werewolves were played by dancers, which is super unique. It gives them a really unique, agile, um, slim, but giant and like very agile feel. Um, incredibly well done. I was a little bummed that Bad Moon didn't make it into the top five. And I suppose that's right, because that movie has some flaws. But, I mean, where it's great, it's great. It's got maybe the greatest dog protagonist in the history of horror movies. I mean, straight-on protagonist. Like, Thor is the hero of that movie. The werewolf is actually scary <laughs> um, and savage uh, as well. But... Um, it, it makes sense that it didn't quite crack the top five. At number three, we had Silver Bullet. And this makes all kinds of sense to me because I think one of the things about werewolves is they're, they're like the Pennywise era of monster, right? They're a very old school monster. And Stephen King understood that. It was in his blood. So when he wrote this, when he put a cast of characters and that town setting that he is just unparalleled at and then introduced a monster into it in the form of someone that's supposed to be trustworthy by their profession or by their chosen you know, vocation and makes that the villain. It's like the wolf and the sheep um it's it's just an incredible dynamic and makes all kinds of sense for a lot of reasons why people love that movie. I do, too. Also, great atmosphere. Number two in the voting was Ginger Snaps. So good to see this movie here. Um, I actually really like its sequel as well. But um, it, it just a, this is the thing, right? Ginger Snaps is the let the right one in of the werewolf genre. 
And it's the kind of movie that doesn't lay down for what it's supposed to be. You get this in the vampire genre all the time, where the fact that it's a vampire just determines everything else that's going to happen, whether it's like Dracula 2000 or, you know, it's even John Carpenter's vampires. The the idea is there's going to be this super powerful master vampire or some kind of like vampire overbearing thing that happens and whatever message or twist or fresh take that the movie has in mind it's all going to be subsidiary to the the vampire is the vampire ishness of the situation and the same thing happens with werewolves a lot but not with ginger snaps ginger snaps fresh ideas it's fresh take on things comes first and the werewolves it's not that they come second it's they're integrated with the freshness of the take and the interpretation. It's hand in hand. You've got two powerful forces working side by side. The werewolfness of this movie and the brains behind this movie are in tandem, right? It's like Jordan and Pippin working together to bring us just absolute um, great lycanthropic mayhem. But number one, and I'm so glad to see it because even though, as I said before, I'm really partial to Wolfman 41 and I'm partial to Wolfen, I consider this movie an equal to those, um, equally loved by me. I just gave it to the fans vote and tried to turn my attention elsewhere to see if there was something else I could find because... This one was such a clear winner. It did not need my help, but I absolutely adore this movie. So the winner by a lot was 1981's The Howling. So this movie, first of all, was genuinely scary and strange. And I think it's still pretty scary and strange if you come to it with the with an open mind or an open heart. The beginning of this movie is like being attacked by a werewolf in real life. You do not expect it to open the way that it does. It grabs you by the throat and you're wounded before you even know what's happening because it's genuinely chilling and rattling the way this movie kicks off. And it doesn't really indicate the tone that's going to follow, which has some dark humor in it and some twists because the beginning is just altogether grim. D. Wallace might be one of the most underappreciated performers in the entire horror genre ever. This is one of the greatest acting performances in a horror movie. Fight me. The look she gives at the end of this movie. I remember I saw it and I was pretty young when I saw it. And it was worse than seeing the blood and the kills and the, and the, you know, jump scares that, that, look on her face at the end of this film is just absolutely bone chilling and the transformations themselves. I mean, this is a podcast about werewolves and we haven't talked about transformations that much. And that's on purpose because whether they're a little bit dated, like 1941's Wolfman or what have you, there's just no way you can compare with what American werewolf in London did unless it's this i mean honestly i think in its own way is just as good it's because 
it may not visually have like the flair and the craft of London, but it's oozier. It's bloodier. The skin during the transformations is bubbling and boiling and gross. It really fits the grittier take and the grittier world that the howling is set in. And we don't get enough of this in the present day where movies are often made by committee and the rough edges are sanded away and everything's kind of polished and calculated and world built and we're in phase six or whatever, seven of, you know, Marvel and everything is schemed out. But the howling really is like a puzzle that's not put together quite right. It's got really bizarre side channels and pieces to it places that you really don't expect sometimes it's funnier than you expect sometimes it's scarier than you expect sometimes it's darker than you expect what i'm saying is it's jagged it's like catching a football that someone taped a couple of razor blades onto it's it's a little dangerous i love it for that so you've reached the end of this episode the way you walked with thorny through no fault of your own but you've made it, and we appreciate it. Let us know what you think about uh, your favorite werewolf movies on our Facebook or Instagram pages at Horror Weekly. And until next Wednesday, have a great horror week.